Mama, don't let your babies grow up to be cowboys. Don't let them pick guitars and drive them old trucks. Make them be doctors and lawyers and such. Mama, don't let your babies grow up to be cowboys. They'll never stay home and they're always alone, even with someone they love. Okay, church, that's the lesson. It's Mother's Day. There's Good, good parenting advice from Willie Nelson. No, uh, I played that song because it is Mother's Day, and my mother loved that song when I was a little boy and wanted to grow up to be a cowboy, and obviously I failed. Um, she won out on that one. Um, no, but that song is talking about the about the pain of being a parent. It's it's that it's that pain of of you have these kids and they grow up and they go do dangerous things and maybe things that we don't want them to do, and it's. It's almost built into being a parent. When God formed the first family, God says that, that this child that you raise is going to grow up and leave you, and that that is actually a good thing. And so it's not Christmas. It is the springtime. But I'm going to be talking about a mother that we almost exclusively talk about at Christmas, and that's Mary. And I want to honor Mary as the mother of Jesus. But I also want to take her out of that stained glass window view that we have of her is being very passive, almost as being childlike, and I want to follow her on her journey of faith as a mother, but also as a disciple of Jesus, her son. And so we're introduced to Mary in Luke chapter 1, and we're going to be in Luke 1 and 2 for um, a little bit of time here, but the angel Gabriel is going to come to her, and I don't want you to get caught up on the minutia and the details what I want you to think about is what would be the overall impression that Mary had about this Messiah son that um, she learns about from this encounter with Gabriel. And so in verse 28, uh, the angel says, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And Mary is, is troubled at his words. And, and in verse 31, he's going to um, inform her, You will conceive and give birth to a son. And you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. And Mary is like, how is this possible? I'm still a virgin. The angel is going to explain it to her. And after a very short explanation in verse 38, Mary's just going to say, I am the Lord's servant. Mary says yes. And so Mary's going to sing a song later on. And so I want to glom on to this idea of like, what would the soundtrack of Mary's life sound like? And so um, I can't help but to think, as she's talking to this angel, look at some of the language. He's going to be great. He's going to have a throne. His kingdom is never going to end. He's going to rule. And like, what song would kind of capture this? And it has to be like a... a triumphant march, right? It has to be like a pep rally song. And so the song that I landed on, and yes, I'm going to sing a little bit, and no, I don't sing well, is like, we're marching to Zion. We're marching to Zion. Beautiful, beautiful Zion. It's like this, this pep rally music that Mary just has to be thinking, yes, I'm scared. It's going to be scary to tell my parents, but did you hear he's going to have a throne, and, and he's going to be great, and his name is going to be great, and 
He's going to be a king. And she just has to be celebrating. And so this pep rally, this, this march of triumph, just continues is, is, is that she hurries to her relative's house, Elizabeth. Now, Elizabeth is pregnant with John the Baptist. And when Mary greets her, John the Baptist, inside his mother's womb, just starts doing backflips. Have you been to like pep rally or like a college football game and there's like the tumbler who's doing the tumbling? Kenzie Mills did that here, right? John the Baptist, he's the tumbler. He's, he's jumping up and down. It's, it's Jesus. It's just this march. And then Elizabeth just starts blessing Mary. She's like, you're blessed. And your son is blessed. And, and this is going to lead to so much victory after victory. And this is amazing. And I can just imagine what a glorious moment that this would be. And as all of this is going on, Mary's going to break out into song. And it's easy for us to think of Mary as being young and naive and childlike. Guys, she was a theological giant for her age. Because scholars have studied this song, and there are at least 40 references to the Old Testament in this song. She was a theologically uh, brilliant young woman. And so listen to this song. She says, my soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. And then 52, I'm going to drill down on this just a little bit. He says, Mary says, He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised. And so this pepper, this march of triumph, it's like, look at how good God is. Look at what he's doing through Messiah. And so just that triumphant march that we're marching to Zion, it's just, it's just turned up to ten. But there's another song embedded in this song. And it's things that they believed about what Messiah would do and what Messiah would be like. And one of those is all the unjust rulers of this world are on notice. This song includes a threat to Herod. It includes a threat to Tiberius Caesar because Mary says that God has brought down rulers from their thrones but has lifted up the humble. She's saying, Herod, you're on notice. Messiah, my son, is coming for your throne. And the, and the visit that the Magi are going to pay to Herod is going to bear this out as well. And so I wanted to expand the song that Mary is singing beyond just this march to Zion. And so um, I thought of storming the Bastille. And because I'm me, I literally type in storming the Bastille music. And I found this gem. And we're just going to play a cutting but please indulge me in this.
You go to a church on Mother's Day, and obviously, you're going to get Willie Nelson and uh, D. Snyder. I mean, obviously. Um, no. Um, you might want to push back on me a little bit and say, Lance, like, really? Like, storming the Bastille and, like, revolution and, like, arming up? Really? Is that, is, is that what they believed about Messiah? And I would say, yes. And the reason why I feel like that I can confidently say that is when the Magi go visit Herod, and when they start telling him about this Messiah being born, and when possibly this song and when these ideas, when they get back to Herod, what does Herod do? Commits infanticide and kills all the baby boys in the region aged two years of age and younger because Messiah was such a threat to his power. And as Mary, as a teenage girl, is singing this song, part of what she's singing is we're not going to take it anymore. Messiah is coming and he's going to set things right. And she is excited about it. Jesus is born. And there's some shepherds off in a field. And they get a visit from an angel and they're terrified. And the angel says, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Messiah the Lord. And then before the angels leave, they say, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. Peace to those on whom his favor rests. And so the shepherds come and they tell Mary and Joseph about their visit from the angels. And then they go tell everybody about their visit. And they tell everybody about this Messiah that has been born. And in verse 19 of Luke 2, it says, But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. Mary is processing, what is this Messiah going to be like? And so far, it's just been this triumphal march of, we're marching to Zion. Everything is awesome and peace and joy and goodness. And people are coming to visit and they're worshiping. And this song just continues on. And when Jesus is 40 days old, in Matthew chapter 2, they bring Jesus to the temple to offer the sacrifices. And I don't know about you, but when uh, we had Kip and Callie, and when we brought them here, and when the elders did, did our annual baby blessing, I was so excited. I couldn't, I couldn't wait to present my two babies before the church and for the, and for the elders to bless them and to pray for them. Can you imagine if you're married? Can you imagine as you're literally carrying God in the flesh into the temple? And when we get there, there there's, there's two awesome people that they're going to meet. The first one is Simeon. And Simeon is a prophet, and the Holy Spirit is upon him. And Simeon has been promised that he's not going to die before he sees Messiah. And so you have this old, likely wrinkled sage with all the wisdom of the ages waiting in the temple. And then led by the Holy Spirit, he goes out and he sees this young family. And they have this baby boy that they love and that they treasure. And then Simeon, I can just imagine that he just started tingling. He's like, that's Messiah. That's the one. And he goes to this young family and he takes baby Jesus. And he starts to prophesy. And he says, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. And it says that the child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. We're marching to Zion. He's Messiah. Victory. Pep rally. Yes. 
and then suddenly, <laughs> record scratch. That song that's on full blast stops because then the soundtrack changes and Simeon specifically turns to Mary. And he says, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Mary knows Torah. She knows what the Bible says about the hearts of mankind. In the Bible, the hearts of men are something that need to be purified and made clean and made new by God. Separate and apart from God's cleansing, sanctification, the hearts of men are full of malice and envy and greed and anger, and they're unjust and they commit violence. And Simeon says, the hearts of mankind are going to be revealed. They're going to be spoken out against your son, and they're going to be put on this little infant, on this little baby is going to bear everything that is in the hearts of men. And if you know what men are really like, that is terrifying. And he tells her, and this sword, this, this violence, you're going to feel it too. He doesn't say this to Joseph. We can read between the lines in the text, and we know that Joseph doesn't live long enough to suffer with Jesus. But Mary is going to. And so the song changes. It changes from this victory march to now there is a funeral dirge that gets played. And Mary is going to have to carry both of these songs for the rest of her life. Mary knows that Jesus is marching to victory. She also knows that he's marching to pain and suffering. And she herself is going to suffer as well. And so there's a word that I want to introduce now that we're going to put away and then I'm going to bring back out at the, at the end. Because the second prophet that's in the temple, her name is Anna. And she's awesome too. She's a widow. She's 84 years old. She lives in the temple day and night. She prays. She fasts. She never leaves. She's just completely sold out for God. And in verse 38, it says, coming up to them at that very moment. Right? Just, just such beautiful timing. She gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. And that's the word that I want to introduce now, only to bring back out later on. And so when Jesus is 12, uh, his family travels to Jerusalem for the, Pass, for the Passover feast. And they would have traveled with all of their extended family and friends and neighbors and relatives, and they go to the city for the feast, and they break bread, and they do everything that they do as part of the feast, and then they travel home. And the way that they would have traveled is all the kids in, in the front, and that's, that's Jesus, and maybe John the Baptist, and maybe James and John are there. There's a lot of people who think they're cousins of Jesus. And all the kids are in the front. Uh, wait, did I say Jesus was there? No, he wasn't. They assumed he was in the front with all of his cousins and friends. And so they travel for one day, they go 10 miles, maybe 20, and then they start looking for Jesus and they can't find Jesus. So it takes them a day to travel back. And that second day, we don't know where they looked. Maybe the places that they lodged, no clue. They're looking for Jesus. They don't find him. Day three, they go to the temple. And there's Jesus. And Joseph doesn't speak in the text, but Mary does. And this is when I need to confess that I have two kids. Guess how many I've lost in my life? Two kids. <laughs> um, I left Kip at this very building just a few months ago. 
we got home and we got ready to have lunch and I was mad that he wouldn't come to the table. I, I might have blurted a thread out that he wasn't there. He was here. <laughs> I lost Callie when she was younger. That one was not my fault as much. Um, it, is, it is terrifying to lose your kids. And Mary says this, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. She says, do you know what you're doing to me as a mother? And Jesus is is going to answer her with two questions. Why were you searching for me? Jesus later on is going to say that I and the Father are one. If you see me, you've seen the Father. So just go to where God the Father is, the temple, and you'll find me there. And then he says, didn't you know I had to be in my Father's house? And this goes back to some of that leaving and cleaving language that we see back in Genesis, that um, Jesus is becoming a man, and and he is orienting himself to what his future vocation is going to be. And and Luke takes great pains for us to know that Jesus was obedient to his, his, his parents. And then it says in 51, it says, but his mother treasured all these things in her heart. She's processing, okay, what is this Messiah gonna be like? And so I wanna rewind the tape just a little bit. When Mary and Joseph get to the temple, what do they see? They see Jesus in a circle with the leaders. And it says that Jesus is asking questions and they're listening to him and they're amazed at what he's saying. So you might think, well, if Jesus is the one who's asking the questions, then maybe he's the one who's taking the form of the student and he's asking the older people questions. But that also is a rabbinic style of teaching in which the teacher is the one that asks the questions to lead the thought, to lead the teaching. And so what Mary sees is Jesus has gathered a circle around him. And Mary's thinking, Jesus is going to be the Messiah. Well, he's going to need to be good at gathering a circle around him because David had had his mighty men. Like, you know, as Messiah, he's going to need to gather an army. He's, he's going to need to lead an army. Like, you know, that's a big deal. That's That's good. Or perhaps... She's thinking, well, he's going to need advisors. He's, he's going to need smart people to help him navigate things. And so I want to um, offer up that maybe Jesus is gathering a different kind of circle around him than maybe what Mary thought he was gathering. So Mary's going to show up early in, in the ministry of Jesus in John chapter 2. They go to a wedding. Uh, they're uh, at the feast. And in verse 3, uh, the text is straightforward. It just says, when the wine was gone... Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine, right? So uh, most of you probably have heard that like the, most, the biggest social faux pas, the biggest catastrophe that could happen to you is if your son is getting married and you run out of wine at the wedding. Maybe Mary is friends with the parents of the groom. We have no idea, but she brings this to now 30-year-old Jesus who has some disciples. And I think maybe she's kind of trying to nudge him, like, okay, Jesus, if you're Messiah, and if we're marching to Zion, and if, if everything is awesome, and if, and if you're going to be like David, like, let's start small, and let's start solving small problems. I don't know that she, nece- that she necessarily had a miracle in mind. Maybe she just wanted Jesus to stand up and to kind of explain the situation. Maybe she wanted him to send somebody to the vineyard to go and get more wine. I have no idea what her expectation was, but I think that she's like, okay, Jesus, come on. And she's just, she's kind of nudging Jesus a little bit. And then Jesus is going to answer her. He says, woman, and don't get caught up on that. In English, it sounds bad. It's the same word for mother. 
uh, Mother, why do you involve me? And then he says, my hour has not yet come. And in the Gospel of John, the word hour is an important word. It is that time in which um, God the Son is going to show ultimate obedience to God the Father. And what Jesus basically is saying is that I'm now orienting my life around what God has called me to do. Now, my kids are 12, and I pretty well can set their agenda, and I pretty well can set the hours of their day. But a day is coming when that's not true. It's, again, it's, it's that idea of separation. And Jesus is telling her, Mom, I love you, but you don't get to set the agenda of my ministry. That's between me and God the Father. And so you might sense just, just a little bit of tension here between the first commandment, to put God first, and the fifth one, to honor your father and your mother. And so um, I think Mary actually handles this very well. She just goes to the servants and just simply says, do whatever he tells you. She's leaving the door open for Jesus to do something, but she's not demanding of Jesus to do something. And as a parent, I think that's just wonderful advice. Just, just, to, just to open the door for my kids to, to do wonderful things for other people, but not absolutely demand it. And we all know how the story ends. Jesus makes like the equivalent of 700 bottles of wine from those six large basin jars. And by verse 12, we uh, find out that um, Jesus and the disciples, that they go back and stay with Mary and with Jesus's brothers. And so uh, in Mark chapter 3, Mary again is going to show up in the ministry of Jesus. Only um, this time, she's not quite as, as gracious to what she wants Jesus to do. And so uh, in Mark 3, verse 20, it starts off, Then Jesus entered a house, and again a, a crowd gathered, so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, He is out of his mind. Poor Mary. She's like, This Messiah, son of mine, the one that I had when I was a virgin, the one that the angel told me about, the one that Elizabeth blessed, the one that Simeon and Anna blessed, the one that the angels have sang about, this Messiah, son of mine, the one who turned water to wine, what is he doing? He's being Messiah all wrong. Because leading up to this, Jesus is doing things that Messiahs don't do. He's eating with sinners. Messiahs don't do that. They're there to purify the land. He's downplaying fasting in a, in a time period in which all the pious people fast for at least two days a week. Jesus' disciples, his students, are, are grabbing the heads of wheat and are threshing out the grain and eating it on the Sabbath. Um, and worst of all, two people who do not get along at all, their enemies, the Herodians and the Pharisees, are working together, conspiring about how they might kill Jesus. And now those two songs start playing inside of Mary's head. And she's like, Jesus, let's, let's do the popular things. Let's, let's feed the crowds. Let's, let's like kill people. Let's, let's do the good stuff that like turns up the march to Zion. Let's, let's focus on that because Jesus, right now you're doing things that are going to get you killed. And she's lived with this prophecy of Simeon ever since Jesus was 40 days old. This sword and this piercing, and this speaking out against, and just this fear, and she can see it happening. And she gathers up Jesus' half-siblings, and they show up, and she's knocking on the door. 
She tried to save her son's life. And to think about what's going on inside. Jesus has a full house. And he hears that his mother and his brothers are, are there. And he says, who are my mother and my brothers? And then it says, then he looked around at those seated in a circle around him. Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Yet again, Jesus has this circle around him. It's what Jesus does. He gathers a circle around them, and he connects them to God, but they're also connected to one another. Jesus has been doing this his whole life. It's not an army. It's not leaders. It's not advisors to give him wisdom. It's a family. And this family isn't necessarily based upon biology because Jesus' biological family at this time is outside the circle, but his spiritual family is inside the circle. And then we see Mary and John chapter 19 when Jesus is hanging upon the cross. Strips down to nothing, beaten, spat upon, tired, thirsty, in pain, on the very verge of death. And who's there but his mother? And at this point, that dirge, that funeral song is turned on at full blast. And the sword that Simeon talked about has been drawn, and it's drawn blood. And it's drawn blood from Jesus, but it's drawn blood from Mary as well as she weeps and mourns her son. And close to death, Jesus looks down and he sees his mother, who is a widow. And it would have been Jesus' responsibility to take care of her. And the most logical thing in the world is for the next oldest son to take charge of Mary. And there's several reasons, if you, if you read between the lines, that it seems like Mary is a disciple at, at this point, and at this point it seems like his half-siblings are not believers. And so Jesus, in all his pain and agony, on the very verge of death, looks down, and he makes provision for his mother. It says, when he saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, which is John, he said to her, woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Jesus honors his mother, both as his mother, but also as a disciple. And he places her not in her biological family, but in her new family, in the circle that is her spiritual family, that is the church. The circle that Jesus is building his whole life and the circle that will never end because God loves his church. And then the last time we see Mary in the New Testament text is going to be in Acts chapter 1. By this point, Jesus has been raised. He's visited hundreds of people. Um, Thomas has touched the scars. Peter's been brought back into the fold. Um, the gospel's been preached. He's He's ascended, and, the, and, the, and all the leaders of the early church are waiting on the Holy Spirit to come. And they're all just like bound together in this, in this unity and like a stick of dynamite that the fuse has been lit. And everybody's waiting on the Spirit to show up. And in verse 14, um, we find out that, that all the important people are there. Peter and John and James and Andrew and Philip and Thomas and Bartholomew and Matthew and, and James and Simon the Zealot and Judas the son of James. And then in verse 14 it says, they all join together constantly in prayer along with the women 
and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. His biological family joins his spiritual family. And as Mary, the mother of Jesus, is praying during those special days, wouldn't you just, wouldn't you get as close to her as you could just to hear her prayers? Wouldn't you want her to mother you? Wouldn't you want her to take you under her wing? Wouldn't you want to be a part of that fellowship? Mary can finally hold both songs in her hands at the same time. She, she can hold the funeral dirge of suffering, and she can hold that victory march of the resurrection and the promise of the early church. And so now I want to leave you with a word that is strong enough to hold both of those songs. This has to be a special word. This has to be a good word. And that word is redemption. Because to redeem something means you will have to pay for it. And to redeem something important, you're going to have to suffer for it. And redemption holds the victory and also makes space for the pain at the same time. In Ephesians 1, Paul is going to write this. In him we have redemption through his blood. The victory march passes through the dirge of the cross. Mother's Day can be a bit of a painful time for some people. Some people have mothers that they've lost. Some people have children that they've lost. Some people didn't have the best relationship with their mother. Some people were not able to biologically have kids. And I don't want to minimize anybody's pain or discount that at all. But Jesus forms these circles. And Mary lost her oldest son in a violent, public, excruciating way. But within that circle, can you imagine all the, all the mothering that she did? Many of you in this room have been a spiritual mother to me. I love my mom. I have a great mom. I think she'd be watching at home, but that light's not red, so I don't think this is being recorded. But she'll hear about this later. Love my mom. Many of you in this room. Some of you have your own flesh and blood kids. Some of you don't. Many of you have mothered me. I am your spiritual son, and for that I will be forever grateful. In Christ, there's a circle, and there's people who need a mother, and there's people that have a chance to be a mother. I would invite you to do that. Maybe in your life, you know what Simeon's sword feels like, and you've suffered, and you felt pain, and you felt loss. I want to invite you to take what would perhaps be the most important victory march of your life from that pew to that water to say yes to Jesus and be connected to him and join that circle. If you have needs of the church, come as we stay on scene.